2: is something that happens in life it happens in sports and i think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively
0: this is where sports talk gets real
2: that word playing it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids
0: and now here's your host dr andrew jacobs
2: hello everybody i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs welcome to our show from our flagship station sports radio 810 whb in kansas city i'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports and you know, when we get into sports psychology, when we talk about mindsets, attitudes, confidence, preparation, focus, all these different topics. There are a lot of different ways to discuss it. And there are a lot of people to discuss it with. As you know, if you listen to the show and our podcasts, I've been in practice, I'm in my fortieth year now of work. And actually, uh, after Labor Day, beginning my 41st year of work, Um, I've been on the radio here in Kansas City for 30 years. Our shows are podcasted all over the place. They are rebroadcast in a number of cities throughout the week. And I love doing this show every week because we talk about you. We talk about what goes on in your head, how you can focus, how you can perform, how does your mind affect what you do. And throughout my career, I've had the privilege to work and get to know all kinds of people. I've been the team psychologist for the Kansas City Royals a couple of times over the years. I was the first sports psychologist at the University of Kansas. Worked with our Olympic cycling team, our national cycling team from 1982 to 1988. Got to participate with them at three world championships and the 84 Olympics where we won nine medals. Hadn't won any in 72 years. I've been... Able to work with a lot of great people, the soccer teams, swim teams, baseball teams, basketball, football, all over the place. And throughout my career, I've had the, the honor to meet a lot, of, a lot of really interesting people, a lot of great people. And as you know, I've been a huge advocate for mental health and, and athletes. I've talked about it forever, why mental health is important. Not just for, for anybody, but for athletes as well. Athletes, especially at the professional Olympic collegiate levels, are under a lot of pressure. And we've seen this past year, especially with a number of athletes coming out and talking about their mental health, most notably Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. She's now on the cover of Time Magazine this week talking about her, her, her frustrations, her stressors. It happens to all of us. You can be physically in tremendous shape, but that doesn't mean psychologically you are. And I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger model come out on top. Well, today we're privileged to have with us a guest. Uh, It's it's an individual I've known for several years. His name's Greg Pryor. He played third base For ten seasons in the major leagues, and he was a member of the 1985 Kansas City Royals World Series championship team, backing up George Brett at third base. And I've gotten to know Greg over the years, and his wonderful wife, Michelle. Great, great people, and he's taken the time to join us this morning. So, Greg, good morning. How are you?
1: Hey, Dr. Jacobs, it's uh, great to talk to you again. And uh, you said it perfectly. It it was great to, to know each other. I wish I would have known you when I was playing, but it didn't work out that way. But I always love talking to you about uh, the mental side of uh, sports and, and how uh, your, your conversations can help people that might be listening.
2: Well, thank you, Greg. You know, uh, yeah, we did not work together. I've gotten to know you over the years. We run into each other periodically in town. Um, you have a unique perspective on this because in many ways – you were sort of ahead of you were ahead of the curve when it came to trying to look at the psychological side of being a professional athlete, right?
1: Well, uh, the, the the curve uh, it depends on what curve you're talking about because uh, to to let the uh, people know that are listening, uh, I was not drafted out of high school uh, by any pro team. I, I didn't have a scholarship to college, so. My my dream or thought of ever playing professional baseball—forget the big leagues. Uh, my dream uh, or thought of playing professional baseball was non-existent. So I, I do come uh, at a, at the uh, mental side of sports a little bit differently than most, because a lot of a lot of young uh, children, a lot of young sports people, they they want to become the, the greatest or they want to become great at, the, at their at their sport. Uh, if they didn't, they, they wouldn't make it to the top or uh, excel. But uh, it, it, it comes in stages, and uh, hopefully during this show we can get into those stages of the mental side of sports because it, it, uh, it doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of things involved with uh, how uh, a player uh, can increase his performance. But uh, the bottom line is uh, he's got to have the physical ability uh, to go along with the mental, mental ability uh, or he's not going to succeed.
2: So how did you do it then, Greg? Because you said you, it wasn't necessarily something you had planned on doing. How did it happen?
1: Well, my dad uh, forced a coach at Florida Southern to give me a scholarship because uh, my older brother was a great pitcher and he threatened to take my uh, older brother out of out of school uh, if he didn't give me a scholarship. That's, that's how I got to, to play uh, baseball in college. And and then uh, it was wait,
2: wait, wait, up. hold on, hold on. He forced the coach. How, how did yeah. he force him?
1: Well, my brother uh, Jeff uh, was a um, was probably the one of the probably the best high school pitcher in Orlando, Florida, in 1966, and uh, he got the first four year scholarship at Florida Southern, uh, and he was uh, eight and He was eight zero his freshman year. So my dad, uh, who uh, – and, and it's really important to, to know that uh, the influence of, uh, of, a, of a significant parent or uh, a guardian to help uh, a young athlete because uh, my dad was uh, wonderful. He was perfect for me because uh, when he came to me and he said, guess what, Greg? He says, I got you a scholarship to go to school with your brother, Jeff. I was so excited. He never told me that he bribed the coach because he was going to take my brother out of Florida Southern because he wanted Jeff and I to play on the same team. So that's how I got to Florida Southern. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, that good in high school. I wasn't that good my first two years in college. And uh, I didn't know that my dad bribed the coach until after I got, uh, after I graduated.
2: So when you found that out, how did that make you feel?
1: Well, it, I started laughing about it because the the coach. Uh, when I got my number retired at Florida Southern after I made All-American two times and was uh, was uh, in the big leagues for a few years, they they retired my number at Florida Southern. I went down for a banquet because they put me in a Hall of Fame there, uh, and uh, <laughs> that's what I think that's when the coach told me. And he, he was a great coach, Coach Hal Smeltsley, He's wonderful, great guy. Uh, and, and he, he came up to me, he said, you know, Greg, I never, I never wanted you. He said, your dad forced me to take you. <laughs> so I, I laughed at, it at the time because, you know, you, the, the, the great thing about sports is uh, you, can't, uh, you can't open up somebody's brain and see what's ticking in there. You can't, and they, they talk about heart, but it's really uh, the confidence in, in the brain and how uh, people, young athletes learn how to deal with adversity is uh, what makes uh, them uh, excel no matter what level it is, uh, it it comes down to uh, you know that that drive inside inside that brain to pers- pursue uh, even uh, through much adversity. So it, it it worked out in college, but uh, that was the easy part, uh, Andy. And I'll call you Andy because I don't want to call you Dr. Jacobs the whole show. Uh, the, the The easy part was uh, getting uh, to be a professional baseball player. The tough part was uh, learning how to play on a professional level mentally and physically well when we Uh, come
2: back we come back from this commercial break this first break greg we're going to get into that i want to talk about the combination of both those things i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs my guest this morning is greg Pryor, former major league professional baseball player world series champion 1985 we're talking about his life and how he made it how he did it i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs this is the sports psychology on This is the
0: Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: The status of black women in America. A lot of people say, well, why do you need to talk about it? You've got Kamala Harris, a heartbeat away from the presidency. You've got Stacey Abrams being considered for Nobel Peace Prize. But I think we all know that's not the real deal. African-Americans and particularly women were the vessels by which to keep this human capital going Uh, during slavery. Then you had uh, Jim Crow. And there's a sensitivity on the part of women generally, whatever the race, and then particularly African-American women, to raise the point of why aren't you talking? About me, why don't you have programs customized uh, to deal with my needs? And so, I guess that explains why we're still struggling with it uh, in this year of 2021.
0: For more, watch State of Play Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel. Let's be honest the National Symphony may not be in his future,
1: but he wanted to try violin. So, you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov/the-right-seat. Show him you love him. Keep him safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
4: America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
5: Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org.
6: What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards?
5: Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
7: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Go! Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihabprediabetes.org. That's doihabprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And this morning, we're privileged to have as my guest Greg Pryor, former World Series champion, Kansas City Royals 1985, a 10 year veteran in the major leagues. And Greg, let me ask you this question. Um, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. What's your opinion on that?
1: Uh, I think it's uh, the, a great uh, observation, Andy. Because uh, when when I went through the minor league system uh, with the Rangers and I was with the Yankees in the minor leagues too, uh, I always uh, was uh, always. I, I guess I, I was unique in a way where I, I would watch other players' activity and their behavior. And I, I could see their their frustration, and I kind of learned from their frustration because uh, I played with a lot of players that that, uh, that turned to anger uh, in their mental uh, uh, thrust into the game, if you will. And I, I never uh, I never became an angry player. I never uh, threw bats around. I never. I lost control and started beating up stuff in the clubhouse or in the dugout, and I always got a kick out of those guys that used that, that reverted to anger. So uh, I, I think that uh, even though they had some ability, uh, I think that I I've learned about that mental aspect by just watching guys, and I agree with you.
2: So confidence, to me, you know, I, I talk about preparation, focus, attitude, and confidence as the keys to success, and confidence is the is the foundation of all of it. How would you describe the confidence you had as a player? Because, like you said, you your dad basically bribed the coach at Florida Southern for you to play. Then you became this great player. You end up making it in the major leagues. You played in several teams. Played on a World Series team. What is the role confidence plays in sports, in your opinion? Boy, and, and then, and then also for you specifically, how how was it?
1: You know, in that first uh, uh, commercial break, we just had. I, I have a legal pad here. I'm writing down notes so that I like, like to talk about and. I wrote that word confidence down even before he brought it up because...
2: Well, great uh, minds think alike, Greg. You know that.
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to just tell you uh, maybe three little uh, uh, little things here about confidence that I went through, uh, and maybe you can uh, expound on it or, or elaborate more on it. But when I was 19, uh, I was playing in a summer league up in Virginia, and uh, my, my, I almost got... I. I I had to get a bribe to go play there, too, so that was the second bribe I had. Uh, but uh, I dislocated my left shoulder in a game up there, and uh, three weeks after uh, the do- I dislocated my left shoulder, diving for a ground ball to my left, uh, the doctor uh, put electric shock all over my shoulder, and he, and he goes, so he goes, son, uh, you- you've uh, torn all your nerves. You have no muscles. Contraction, you- your-, your nerves and your muscles are firing. He says, you'll have to put your arm in a sling the rest of your life because you, you, you don't have any feeling in your shoulder, do you? I said, no, I can't feel anything. So uh, that's, uh, you know, you talk about confidence. Uh, that, that really uh, shattered uh, any confidence that I had because here I was uh, looking at a life without the use of my left arm at, at age 19. And uh, back then there were no cell phones. I couldn't call my dad who was in Florida. I, you know, it was almost like I had to deal with that myself. Well, I got past that one, and then uh, my first year as a professional, uh, I was playing in the New York
2: penalty. Well, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 hold on, yeah, yeah. hold on. This guy, this guy says, this guy says you're not, your arm's going to be in a sling, permanently. <laughs> then what happened? How'd you get through that?
1: Uh, I tell you, I think that uh, I really think that my mental strength helped me get through that difficult time in my life because. I, I loved golf more than baseball at the time, and I, I, obviously I told you already I didn't plan on becoming a pro. And I was just a, 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 you know, a, a sophomore in college when I dislocated my shoulder. So I think that uh, my desire to play golf uh, was, was really a factor in, in wanting me to get that shoulder healing so that these nerves would bend. And I, I, I think that's part of it. I, I wish I could go back and go through that process. But I started. What I started doing, I started trying to uh, walk up a wall with my fingers if I could. Uh, I, I tried to uh, lift my left arm up to brush my teeth left-handed. I started doing things left-handed, uh, it, whatever I could do, which wasn't much, because it had to heal. And uh, obviously, uh, in time, uh, uh, enough muscles sur- survived. I was told that. I lost two muscles in my shoulder. But I, I found out, Andy, that the, the, the good muscles that I had could overcome the ones that died. Uh, because if you look at the back of my left shoulder in the back, you can see there's, a, there's space there for muscles, but there's none there. So I really had to cultivate not only uh, uh, these uh, uh, existing muscles to overcome the ones that died, but I also had to learn how to hit again. And I learned, had to learn how to field again. So at age 19, uh, as I said, my confidence wasn't that high because I had to, I had to really uh, coordinate uh, or get my left uh, arm coordinated enough to be able to even uh, play catch again. But, I, it, but it,
2: I'm it, guessing it, you also got another medical opinion.
1: Well, not really, you know, not really. I, I, back in those days, uh, you know, you, you just, uh, you know, well, what are you going to do? You go in and you, you ask the doctor. Uh, suppose I went into a second doctor and I said, "Look, uh, this one doctor said my left arm is not going to be able to use it be used again. Can you check it and see if he's right or not?" I don't think that people can look inside the body and 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 do that kind of thing. Because uh, another thing that happened, I, I got hurt, my knee hurt in college playing volleyball, and uh, and I went into a doctor and he was going to take out the cartilage of my left knee, uh, and I and I said, "What other choice do I have?" And he goes, "Well, you, I can put a cast on it for three weeks and see if it heals." Well. Put the cast on, because he was going to take cartilage out when it was the thing to do. And back in uh, '68, uh, you know, taking cartilage out was the way they did it. And uh, my my knee healed after three weeks. So uh, I've been very very fortunate uh, in overcoming injuries that could have been career-ending even before I even started my career. So, uh, but but uh, I don't know if that answers your point there. Well,
2: does no, that? it does. And and let me let everybody know I'm, I'm talking with Greg Pryor, former Major League baseball player, World Series champion, Kansas City Royals, 1985, and Greg, let me ask you, so so confidence, you know, a, a lot of young people listen to this show. Confidence is one of these things that, it, it's one of the hardest things to gain and one of the easiest things to lose. So how did you build yours? How did you develop your confidence? We're, you know, we're hearing, you know, you weren't expected to be as good as you became, so how'd you do it?
1: Well, as I was started to say there, my first a professional manager uh after a game uh in uh, rookie league in 71 uh he uh, between double headers he looked at me in front of the whole team and he said uh, prior you can take your uniform off and i don't care what you do so my first professional manager basically fired me as a <laughs> he fired me mentally but he, he didn't fire me physically but because you know I, I still dressed out but uh that 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 was probably the lowest confidence level that i had up to that moment uh, So, how'd you
2: you deal with that? I mean, that's pretty demoralizing.
1: uh, Yeah, all I did was uh, I waited for some positive to happen because a lot of times in in organized sports, uh, you, you have to wait around for something positive to happen, whether it's a coach that that um, that pat you on the back whether or it's a teammate that says uh, you know you're really good you, you get your confidence sometimes from outside of your own brain but the the confidence that you you have uh has to be uh cultivated inside because uh you have to go out and perform and nobody can do it for you so what i did was i waited around in my rookie season and a scout came through uh, that was responsible for signing Pete Rose, and he saw me working out before the games, and, and he told the manager, he says, hey, he says, put Pryor at short. I want to watch him play a few games. So that guy, Tommy Thompson, was his name. He saw something in me that caused the manager to put me in. And when when, a, when, when you get in the game, nobody can control uh, what you swing at or how you feel. No, nobody can control that but uh, yourself as an individual player, even yeah, though you're and, team. And,
2: and, yeah, we need to go to our break, Greg. But I want to come back and continue this conversation. My guest today is Greg Pryor, World Series champion, Kansas City Royals, 1985. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
0: And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: The future of the two-party system. We have the Democrats who always have their challenges. It's a wide tent and therefore a challenging tent but also the Republican Party that seems to be having really acute challenges. We've seen several of their U.S. senators say they're just not even going to seek re-election. And then we saw the insurrection on January 6th, where I think 147 of them still voted not to respect the electoral vote. It's a challenge when a party rejects Liz Cheney, a challenge when the party rejects their standard bearer Mitt Romney, Uh, A real challenge is what will be the heart and soul of the Republican Party. It does not bode well for our country.
0: For more, watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central
4: A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
6: Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive.
4: Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council.
9: What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on, and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up.
3: Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go.
10: Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
1: Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov/the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov/the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
5: Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? were babies made what does this thing do kids are curious about everything including guns talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step but you can do more always keep your guns locked unloaded and stored separately from ammunition storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire including unintentional shootings for more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe visit endfamilyfire.org that's endfamilyfire.org
6: What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards?
5: Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council.
0: This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology AR from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week, and my guest today is former Major League Baseball player Greg Pryor. We're having a great conversation about a lot of things, specifically about confidence lately. That's what we've been getting into here. And love for you to call if you have a question or a comment. Our number is 913 3810 810 no, Greg would love to talk to you. He's a very, very personable guy. I've gotten to know him over the years. Great sense of humor, has a good time in life. And how much of that, Greg, do you think has played a role for you? I think your attitude, your perspective. I mean, you've shared with us that several scenarios in your life where you weren't expected to be very good, yet somehow you survived. How do you think you did that?
1: Well, you have to learn how to overcome adversity, and adversity is going to come at all at all angles. You can have adversity off the field when you come in to to perform, uh, and you have to learn how to to forget what's happening off the field so you can perform on the field. Uh, in '73, uh, I played A-ball up in the, in the Carolina League in Rocky Mount, and I made 50 errors at shortstop. And after the season, uh, the farm director, Hal Keller. Uh, he called me, and he goes, uh, prior he goes, we don't know what we're going to do with you. He says, you can't run. you got minimal power. You can't field. He says, but you can hit a little bit. He says, so you, we don't know what we're going to do with you. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. I said, I got three strikes against me. So what I, what I did was I, I started working on my weaknesses, uh, which, which was my fielding. Because had I not improved my fielding, Andy, I never would have been able to get to the big leagues.
2: Okay, so uh, how, how did you work on that? What did you do? Well, you
1: know, what, I, what I did was I, I, I started improving uh, the things that make you a good fielder. Uh, number one, I got stronger. I, I, I mean, I, when I graduated from college, I was like 175. When I played in the big leagues, I was 190. So I put on 15 pounds of muscle in the minor leagues. And it was gradual. It wasn't uh, one month or two months because uh, getting to the big leagues uh, was easy, uh, basically, compared to what it was to stay there. Because when you, when you get there, you have to prove that you belong there, and that was the tough part. But I, I started improving my, my feet quickness, my arm strength. Uh, I got all my muscles stronger. And when, when you have a, a stronger body and you can move your feet quicker in the infield, uh, you have a better chance uh, at catching baseballs, and I just I just worked at it. I, I guess you could say uh, uh, hard work uh, paid off, and that's basically what the bottom line was. But I had nobody around me telling me what to do. I mean, these young kids now they, they have a too, they almost have too many people telling them what to do because you know uh, they get confused and. Uh, they they don't know which way to go, it's, but l- luckily for me, uh, I, I I was able to to do it mostly by myself in, in a certain way because nobody told me to go work out, nobody told me to to to, to go do uh, squats and and run and and get stronger. I I did that on my own.
2: Okay, so what I'm picking up from you, Greg, is you know that the term a self-made man. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. You 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 sort of figured it out. These are the things I've got to do to get better. You, you, you were told – I mean, you've been told a bunch of times you're not going to do it. You're not going to make it. You're not good enough. Yet somehow you did. Why do well, you yeah. think what – was, what was that about?
1: Well, you know, uh, Billy Martin fired me three times. I was in three spring trainings with Billy Martin, uh, two with the Texas range, major league spring trainings, two, two with Texas, uh, and one with the Yankees. And, and Billy, uh, he, he – he, uh, you know, I say fired. Uh, he sent me out of a big league camp to the minor leagues. So he, he said, uh, in, in you know, basically said I wasn't good enough. And and what uh, what that did was, when you have a series of setbacks in in your performances, you have two choices. Uh, you can you can work to get better, or you can just say I wasn't good enough. Uh, there's 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 no middle ground. And I never never thought I wasn't good enough. Because I always wanted to be tested at the higher level. I thought the conditions uh, in the big leagues, when I got to the point where I was a potential big leaguer, uh, I I knew that the conditions in the major leagues were better than the minor leagues. And I always was thinking that if I could get under the lights, if I could get under the good batter's boxes, if I could get into a place where I could earn income so I didn't have to worry about being broke at the end of every month in the minor leagues, uh, things might be better for me. So I got my shot in '78 uh, to, to play every day, uh, or a lot of games for the Chicago White Sox, and and, I had, and, and unfortunately I got stage fright with my rookie year and at age 29 I didn't make the big leagues till I was 29, and I, I got stage fright. I was worried about the lights, uh, the cameras, and they were on me and the box scores and the well. Let's you know
2: arena. what let's let's let, we're gonna address that in a minute. We've got a call. Let's go to the phones. Let's see. Jim's got a question for you. Jim, go ahead. Dr. Jacobs, you're on the air
6: this morning um so i i actually am an umpire on my way to a game i enjoy your a show i try to catch it um in, in the morning out of my way if i if i can well, thank you um one of the things that i noticed in a theme um that i'm hearing what greg says is um failure and people told him he wasn't good enough and then he had to choose what to do about it the thing I see is that nobody tells the kids what their weaknesses are or that it's them. Everybody's telling them how great they are, and they don't want to go work on anything.
2: Well, that's that's an interesting point. Greg, what would you say to that? Well,
1: I, I agree 100%, and I, I love talking to young kids uh, because, you know, they, they need to hear the facts of what the caller is mentioning uh, because, uh, you know, when you, they, they – they might have had some success as a little leaguer or, you know, in, in uh, 12, 13, 14 years old. But the, 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 the way to get to uh, – I'm just going to say college ball is, is hard because there's tons of kids that are trying to play college. And, and if you just look at the statistics, uh, the odds of a kid playing college baseball not very good that, that it's in high school. And, and uh, I, unfortunately, I think that young uh, athletes have too many distractions right now uh, because they're not going to uh, give up air conditioning to go out and, and practice what they need to practice in 95-degree heat. It just doesn't work. But fortunately for me, when I was a kid growing up, and, and uh, I didn't have all these distractions. I mean, we had black and white TV, you know, when I was growing up. I never had computer games. And I think the computer and social media and the cell phone uh, are the big drawbacks because kids have so many distractions. And they just need to get out and bust it and, and make a commitment that they're going to improve because – you can play games the rest of your life, but you only have one chance to improve as an athlete. Well,
2: let me, let me, let me jump in here because, Jim, that, I mean, to me, if you've listened to the show, you know I, I talk all about coaching. And a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And I think good coaches take the time with the young athlete to talk about their strengths and weaknesses and work with them at practice on that. They're not going to scream and yell and criticize them in games when something goes wrong. They'll take them aside afterwards. We're going to work on this in practice and deal with this. And I think that that's what part of the part of the solution is. Do you agree with that? Um,
1: you talking I, about? The I would definitely yeah. agree. Yeah,
2: uh,
6: Jim. I I agree with that. From, with what I see, um, but also, you know, I I really think parents are the big part of the issue and not being able to have any perspective because whenever. The coach is telling you something, and everybody around you or at home is telling you how great you are. And, oh, the coach is wrong, and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, when when we grew up, it was a, some uh, a coach or a teacher or something told you something. That's the way it was, and your parents backed that up. And I don't see that as being the case anymore.
2: Well, yeah, I agree with you. Listen, Jim, thanks for your call. Thanks for sharing your, your comments this morning. Appreciate it. You know, Greg— um, I think what he's saying is really, really right, and you're you're a great example of this because, as we're talking, I mean, you were constantly being told you weren't good enough. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're injured. You're not going to be able to play. You can't do this. But somehow you overcame it, and I think that, that that's a lot of why you made it to the major leagues.
1: Well, you know, and thanks, Andy. And uh, I think that uh, if you look at – and I I, I demand that I come on another show maybe in October or something because the the time flies when I'm talking to you because this is such a great topic and I love uh, people that are listening and I love talking the mental side of sports – the 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 ways that I uh, succeeded uh, as a professional or an amateur to a professional level was being open-minded to uh, l- listening to people that gave me the right advice on on how to field or how to hit uh, or how to run how to run the bases and I didn't really learn how to hit until later in my career. Well,
2: um, well, let me let, we got to go to our next break here, yeah, but yeah. I want to I want to jump on that as we come back for our last segment, and I want to talk about. What you would suggest to young athletes today, what they need to do to be able to succeed and overcome failure. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest this morning is Greg Pryor, former World Series champion of Kansas City Royals, 1985. He's given some great input on his career and how he made it to the top. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
0: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. state of play with former Washington DC mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: We're going to do a very deep dive into the issue of the wealth gap, the wealth divide with African Americans and the larger population and try to understand and measurably why that divide exists. Slavery, the implications of Jim Crow, the measurable implications, the Homestead Act and the GI Bill and how somehow African-Americans completely missed or significantly missed those opportunities. So many issues, the criminal justice issue, health issues, education issues, almost all of it, in my opinion, just me, you can attribute it to the wealth gap that exist in America, institutionally exist in America.
0: For more, watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central, on the Black News Channel.
10: Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together.
6: I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me.
10: Me too, but
6: I'm
0: glad we are.
10: Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good. Wow, your story is so... Uh, Interesting? Yeah. <laughs> A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council.
9: If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today brought to you by fema and the ad council but i know about courage i learned from my adoptive mom she said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this mom we are so high up
3: hold my hand (laughs) no you hold my hand here we go (laughs) (laughs) What?
10: Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
0: This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: Well, again, everyone, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest this morning is former World Series champion. Well, not former, always a World Series champion. Greg Pryor, third baseman for the Kansas City Royals, 1985. He backed up the greatest third baseman, in my opinion, to play the game, George Brett. And I think you probably agree with me on that, Greg. You know, I got to know George in 1990 when I was the team psychologist for the Royals when he won his third batting title. You got to play behind him. What was it about somebody like that that stood out so differently? Because uh, he, he was definitely driven differently than other people
1: well I think he learned a lot from Charlie Lau early in his career and he found a way uh, in which he uh, was confident in his swing and and he adjusted his swing I mean when George broke in uh, I think he had a lot different swing that he had in in his great years so I think George was one of those guys that uh, worked his tail off uh, to a certain point to adjust his swing uh, to to get it where he wanted and and he had, he had some of the strongest legs in the world. You know, being a great hitter a lot of times comes with having a strong bottom half. Uh, and his he, he had very uh, small arms, uh, biceps at the top. So it, it just takes a knack for uh, somebody to have that that instinct to to swing or not swing uh, at a good pitch and pick the pitch out early enough. So uh, I was uh, it was an honor to to play with him, uh, be his teammate. And and uh, when I had to go in and play third base when he was injured. Uh, it was uh, a very big test, and and uh, luckily. Uh, I was able to handle that for five years here in Kansas
2: City. So let me let me ask you a question because I got to know him quite well in 1990 when he won his third batting title. I, I admire the man immensely and and his work ethic, his the way he went about his business every day. What was it like for you to come in and have to to play for him when he was injured? Because the pressure had to be pretty pretty strong.
1: Well, the the lucky lucky part about that is I got traded here uh, to Kansas City uh, in '82 and I was 33. I had spent four years. Uh, basically, as an apprentice in Chicago with the White Sox, I I was able to uh, learn the art of playing infield and the art of hitting uh, in Chicago uh, because the, I got to play there quite a bit. So when I got here, I had a certain ability, and and when I hit the field, uh, there was I, I, I blotted everything else out. I was able to blot it out, and and I just went out and played my game. I I knew how to I knew how to play infield. I played all four infield positions. And by the time I got here, I had proven that I could hit in the big league. So it, 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 was, it was impossible to replace a guy like George Brett or Frank White. I played a lot of second base when Frank White was out, too. Uh, it was impossible to replace those guys. But uh, as, a, as a guy trying to earn a living, a plan, you, you try to make uh, the team miss them less uh, by your performance uh, rather than try to replace them.
2: Okay, so you, you and I have talked about this many times before. You went and saw a hypnotist at one point to help you, and you did that because why?
1: Well, it was a referral from Eric Soderholm. He, he was getting good results, and he was trying to uh, a bird dog for this hypnotist in Minnesota, and Eric was just begging me, Greg, you need to go talk to Harvey. You need to talk to Harvey. So I went to Harvey, and when I found out—
2: Harvey Meisel was his name, right? Yeah,
1: Har- Harvey Meisel. Uh, when, Har- when I found out that Harvey was trying to basically take over my brain, uh, you know, and, and make me do things at home plate that he was going to tell me to do every time I went up to home plate. I started asking myself, do I want this guy to be my hitting instructor for the rest of my career or not? And I didn't, because I think that uh, the the art of hitting in the big leagues has to be done internally you know in all honor to uh, anybody that helps anybody perform better especially mentally I think that there's a place uh, for what you do in, in every on every major league team by the way uh, I think that player has to And the bottom line they have to be able to, to make these decisions themselves and I really didn't want uh, to, to think about another human being when I went up to home plate and that's why I didn't uh, keep on using him even though uh, he, he was a very accomplished hypnotist I really didn't think that I Needed him at the time, and uh, who knows? I might be in a Hall of Fame of it if I used him. But at that time of my life, I just didn't feel like having another person mess with my brain when I was hitting.
2: Well, you've been a big proponent of what I do. I know we've talked about this many times. Um, there are a lot of people that don't want sports psychologists around because they're threatened by them. Um, you know, I, I think a sports psychologist has a role on a team. And it's an important component of that because I always like to say you can have two athletes, as I said earlier, who are physically the same. The one with the stronger mind will come out on top. You're a big proponent of the mental aspect. Why? Why do you believe in that so much?
1: Well, because I think players can uh, slip into a zone where. They can't really figure things out on their own. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, when I played, we didn't have film, and I wish I would. we would have had film to watch after the game so I could go in and see why I missed a certain pitch, how I swung at it. Uh, and, and also, I, I think that it's always good to have somebody that, that is there to give you, uh, try to help you have a little bit more mental confidence. And that's why I think that uh, what you've done in your career, obviously you've proven that you can help athletes. And if, if players know that there's somebody around that can help somebody mentally, which is, uh, you know, what all players try to do, they try to stay strong mentally, uh, somebody that's a professional like you uh, should be there because, you know, just in case. It's not like you're walking up to every locker before the game saying, OK, here's what you need to do. You know, you, you know, you wouldn't have had your jobs in all, all these years in sports unless you knew how to talk to athletes. And that's what athletes need.
2: Well, I, I, I agree with you, as you know, on that. Now, let, let, let me ask you three definitions and then my producer, Blake's got a question for you. OK, okay. Um, what's your definition of winning?
1: Uh, winning, obviously, as a team is, uh, you know, score more points or runs or baskets or whatever you want to call it, uh, more than the other team. But, but, but winning uh, in an in, uh, in individual uh, sense uh, on a team is doing your job so that you help the team at the end of the game. You can help the te- uh, know that you were part of, uh, of uh, that winning uh, score at the end of the game. What did you do to, to add to the value of the win? Uh, or what did you do to add to the, to the detriment uh, of, a, of a loss? Did, were you a cause of it? So uh, winning, to me, uh, when, I, when I made errors in the big leagues, I asked myself, did, did it cost any runs? And when you want to uh, you know, uh, think about winning, you, you want to make sure that you can uh, make the plays when it counts uh, in the big leagues. Uh, every, everybody can make plays when it doesn't count, but can you make them when they count, and can you help the team win at the end of the game?
2: Okay, what's losing mean?
1: Uh, losing is, uh, uh, that's a, that's a good one. I, I guess it, it it's just about the same answer. It, at the end of the game, uh, if, if you've uh, struck out with the bases loaded a couple of times, uh, you certainly, and your team, team loses by one game. Uh, you, you, you can, you can look in the mirror and say, well, that, that's a that, that's a losing thing, and, and a lot of times I would go out after games, uh, and I was over four, and we lost, and, and people wanted my autograph. I'm thinking, why would they want my autograph after I play, after the way I played? So it's kind of a, a mental thing. You, you have to get past that losing attitude uh, because the get, the next game's the next day, and you don't have any time to think about it.
2: Okay, real quick, confidence. What's that mean to you?
1: Uh, confidence uh, is uh, something that you get internally, uh, even though uh, sometimes you uh, get encouragement from other people uh that that can help you get that confidence but you you have to earn the confidence you have to deserve the confidence that you feel because i was around a lot of players that had a little uh, ego problem and and they really didn't deserve an ego because they weren't that good Uh, so you know and then uh confidence comes from knowing that you did the job and uh to to help to help the team win uh, and and you can handle it because uh you know an ego which we haven't talked about too much is a big part uh, of whether uh, a player is going to get better or not, uh, because if you stay humble and and you you, you keep uh, trying to improve, uh, you're going to have a better chance to do that. Because uh, the ego can really really hurt an athlete.
2: Okay, Blake's Blake's got to ask you. Uh, we've just got a couple minutes left, Greg. Blake, go ahead. He's got a question for you. So, it, Greg, uh,
0: Blake here. We actually met. Um, When I was about 13 years old back in, I would say, probably 2010, and um, we actually met in a warehouse out in Lanexa, I believe it was Smart Warehousing, and I had the honor and privilege of you actually allowing me to hold your World Series ring. And uh, first time I'd ever seen a World Series ring blew me away. But we had a uh, miscommunication on the exchange back, and I dropped your World Series ring <laughs> in a warehouse on concrete floor. I think it it rolled under a, a uh, forklift, and I've always and forever felt devastated about the moment I met Greg Pyre and dropped his World Series ring.
1: You still owe me the bill for getting that ring fixed.
0: By yeah, I w- I've always meant to ask you what was the damage to it.
1: No, 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 was no damage. Oh. Hey, I, I, there, there, hey, there's Nick's all over it. I've worn that ring so much. Why wouldn't I wear it? You know, a lot of guys don't wear them, but I like to wear my ring because I like to look at it, and it makes me feel better. I, I get confidence when I look at it. But uh, thanks for that. Let me know that, uh, Blake. But Andy, let me let me talk about neurotransmitters. We've got, one
2: yeah, re- we've got about a minute to go. So real yeah. quick,
1: you know, everybody listening, uh, every thought in your brain right now is controlled by neurotransmitters and neurotransmitters are created by nutrients, and I've been in the health and nutrition industry uh, since uh, 91, and if anybody wants to know about the creation of neurotransmitters to help them, and no matter what they're doing, whether uh, it's a, an artist or a musician or a sports uh, person, uh, go to my website uh, at lifepriority.com, lifepriority.com, and, and get in touch with me, and I'll be glad to talk to you about it because I learn more about uh, neurotransmitters after I got out of baseball, unfortunately, than I did when I played. So, And then, a uh, real quick uh, a plug for my book, if you don't mind. I wrote a book about my career. It's called The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave.com. That's okay, Greg, we,
2: we, we're out of time. Gotta Listen, go. Gotta go. You, you're awesome. I love having you on, Greg Pryor. You're a wonderful guy. You, you, you've done so much for the community here. Thanks for joining us today. Stay well and stay safe. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology R.
0: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: Our topic today, the future of policing in America. But once you have a historical context, you understand why once there was professional policing in this country, it was really designed to patrol uh, slaves as well as other sort of new immigrant types who came to America. And so you understand better why there's pushback in the police department. They may want to do it, but it institutionally was uh, anchored in having that kind of mission. So maybe defund the police is the way to go. You know, start anew, I'm not sure.
0: For more, Watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube.
9: If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad
4: Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
7: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.